Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to C3 Corumbans podcast. We want you to know that you are loved by a God who is love. So good to have you with us. Why don't you enjoy this week's sermon? Welcome. How you guys doing? If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dan. My wife Hannah and I get the honor of leading this incredible church. So good to have you here with us today. And uh, it's just an absolutely beautiful and incredible season. I, I love autumn so much and God has been doing some amazing things in our church and in our members. So good to have you guys here. Some quick updates over the last recent weeks. We've been taking out offerings towards the flood relief and uh, I just want to continue bragging on you guys because then it just keeps going up. We have more and more money to give away, which is incredible. So we are now at $10,000 that has come in. That will purely be used for flood relief, which is great. So we're still talking to some churches down there how we can help members and, and people impacted. Pastor Graham has been helping us with um, the Nutra team. have been so amazing. And Ricky and Mark and the team there have been working with the guy and organizations to, to give things away. So we'll be partnering with that person as well. Who knows people who have lost things and insurance won't be covering it. Amen. So we'll be buying... Thanks for them and helping there. But I really want to thank you guys. That's last week we had the, the honor and opportunity to talk on people over possessions. Uh, it's not a bad thing for Christians to be millionaires. But at the same time, we don't look to money as our God. It's never our God. We, money's a tool we use to extend the kingdom of God. And so it, it's not about how much you have. It's about how much is gripping your heart. That's the fear. Because there's a lot of people who don't have much who still have an idol of money in their heart. So we're going to continuously kill that idol of, of money in our heart and always be generous people. Amen? And uh, it's such an amazing thing. Uh, this is a little bit prompt you. Renee, are you still back there on the computer? Thank you so much. Could you just put the QR code up um, one last time for something else? This week, now, you know, there's been so much happening in the world. Um, today, zero pressure if you, if, you, if you don't have the money right now. But what I want us to do now, just today, we're going to give to Ukraine. And so a member of our church, Marsha, is somewhere. She's on our welcome desk today. She is from, she's outside, She's from Ukraine, and uh, it's been incredible. She has a, uh, one of her best friends is a principal at a Christian school in Ukraine, and since the war began or the, the fighting and tensions began, they have had to stop um, not only running the school, but most people in the village lost their work. And so this Christian school has been continuing to pay the teachers to look after the village, and they're getting village um, feeding hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people because no one has work at the moment. And so we're going to be able to partner with them to some capacity soon. At the same time, Pastor Richard Green, he's, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, he, he, he's from C3 Ride in Sydney, an amazing, incredible guy. Uh, I could talk on Pastor Richard for ages, but in a nutshell, for our movement, he oversees um, the Middle East, North Africa, and Central Asia. So in 2016, I had the opportunity to go with him to Kazakhstan, and we ran a conference there for pastors and church leaders, which was amazing to meet about 400 of the pastors there. But then in 2017 or 18, I can't remember right now, but we had this incredible opportunity. Pastor Chris White, you've been here for 40 years. He said it was still one of the most powerful services he's ever been in. We had Pastor Anatoly, who is in Kazakhstan here with his wife Olga, and they were preaching and just incredible testimonies. And then they prayed for us in Russian, and it was just the power of the Holy Spirit was incredible. Now, right now, 
Um, there's things we're streaming. One more time, can we say hi to all of our members online? I, I forgot to do it at the start. God bless you. Love you. Great to see you. Add a comment and say hello. Reach out to us. We want to get to know you better and uh, we want to connect with you in some way, shape or form. Uh, back to this situation over there. We can't say too much, but what's happening right now is Pastor Richard is, is, has flown from Sydney. He is in uh, the Ukraine, I believe, at the moment. He was in Kazakhstan for a bit. But they are working with our C3 pastors and other pastors in the network. They have literally um, getting food and supply to where it needs to go. We'll say that. That's, he's always like, don't say too much. But that's what we're allowed to say. So they are literally now getting food and supply to people that aren't able to do that. And so it's a beautiful, incredible thing. And we're going to be able to partner with them as well to some capacity. And so with that QR code, this is all on, on between you and what you are able to do at the moment. But I know you gave so generously last few weeks to the floods. Thank you. Any amount you can give on there, just put in the reference Ukraine. Um, spell it however you want. <laughs> U-C-R-A-N-E. Um, no. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, put Ukraine, and once again, same thing. We'll make sure every cent gets to that relief in some way, shape, or form. Um, incredible things happening there. Can we pray for them? Wars have been happening for many, many, many years, okay? But what's beautiful in the midst of war is a prayer-empowered church that believes in miracles. And uh, I remember when we were over there, we were like, How, what can we do? When we are in Kazakhstan, what can we do? What can we do? What can we... And we're thinking dollars, like, what can we do? How can we help you? And they were like, get your members to pray for us. It's, it's phenomenal. It's beautiful. Pastor Eric and Chris, you guys have been over Southeast Asia a bunch of times at different places. When they just know we're praying for them, they feel so blessed. So let's think of the churches in Ukraine, but also surrounding countries impacted by this. I'd love you to let faith rise in your heart right now. And let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for our brothers and sisters over there. God, we thank you that you... Never, ever promised the absence of war or persecution, but what you promised is your presence and joy in the midst of it. You, you promised that you, you would open doors for the gospel to be shared in the midst of it. We thank you, God, that in Acts 8.1, when persecution hit the church, that's when the church spread and the gospel spread and salvation spread and miracles spread. So, God, we pray that now any person being displaced in Jesus' name, you anoint them, that they get to talk about the gospel in a new place. And any person allowed to stay, strengthen them, Holy Spirit, be with them. I thank you for divine protection in Jesus' name, especially around our pastors and leaders that are there right now. Your hand is on them, Holy Holy Spirit, keeping them safe. We thank you, God, just as you did for Peter in the prison, that you will blind certain people's eyes and you will open supernatural doors for the church to be protected and safe and for miracles to happen and your word to be preached. God, do what we cannot do. Strengthen your church, build your kingdom. We thank you so much that you are in control and you are good. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So uh, if you didn't get a chance to give there and you would like to give, there's also FPOS out the back. Otherwise, you can transfer midweek. I'll leave that between you. But let's continue to be a generous church. Amen? Now, today is a bit different. Um, something that's been on my heart the last few years is just um, coming back to the actual meal of communion. Now, last year for Easter, the whole weekend, we, we preached on the table. And, and what does that mean? We, we looked at the the Passover feast and what it meant to the Jesus and the disciples doing it that night like Jews have done annually for, for 
15 odd hundred years before that. And what he still continued this, this meal. He's like, hey, church, I'm birthing a new church. However, still keep the meal. And so I, I just wanted to try something. It might not work out. It might be really weird. But what we're going to do today after the service is have a meal as communion. Is that cool? The team, uh, Meryl and Shandell and Kim, have been making like soup all week. We've got sourdough. They've got these like big drink bottles filled with, um, it's like an organic cordial. And uh, we're going to spread that around. And, and what we're going to do is have communion together. What I want to preach on today is the power of communion. Now, there is um, something circling in my head lately, like at the end of the services, we've been praying for each other. And so I'm just going to point out a simple thing with communion as well. Hey, guys, it might be weird at the start, but if we highlight it and just push through the weirdness, there's power in it, okay? So there's going to be power in this moment. What we're going to do is this, if this is okay with you, because I'm going to preach on why we are trying this. We're going to first head on out, get a meal, sit down, and wait. We're going to wait for everyone to be seated, and then sprinkled across the tables amongst the gum leaves and the decor is these little piece of paper with a very simple prayer. Super simple. I, I, off the top of my head, it was like, uh, Lord, I pray for blank, whoever the person is next to you. And I pray that they would remember that you know, you, you've forgiven them and they are released from their sins. I pray you fill them, Holy Spirit. And we're just going to pray this really simple prayer, if it's cool, over the person next to you. And then they are going to pray it over you. And then we're going to eat and remember Jesus. Is that cool? Here's the thing. Yeah, I know that, um, you know, the last 30 years in Western world Christianity, there's been a big rise in what they would call seeker-sensitive churches or kind of a, you know, consumer-driven church that is all like, how do we remove anything that's awkward or not cool, or weird, and how do we remove all of that and just make it kind of really palatable to anyone who would walk in the door? And I get the heart behind that. We want everyone to feel welcome and at home when they walk in. There's also some biblical things I'm just not willing to let go of. Uh, prayer is weird. You know what I mean? Like, giving is weird. Worship, is, uh, it's weird. But <laughs> there is power in these biblical things. And the goal of what we've been preaching on the last six weeks is there's things that the early church did that we have to hold on to, not because they're relevant, but because they're powerful. Without ragging anyone or going you know, off tr train, I believe that the church, Western world church, is not in a healthy position, predominantly in my opinion, because of an overemphasis on relevancy trying to be relevant. And I think, cool, there's a space for that and there's seasons and there's areas of that. But there's also, we've just got to accept, like, hey, hi, hi non-Christian friend. Uh, we believe in an invisible God in the sky who came down and was brutally murdered a Roman crucifixion and now we live for him all of our life. Do you want to come too? Like, there's... <laughs> if, the, if the power of the Holy Spirit isn't on this, we're not relevant. Like, we can't... You can't shift it. It's not Amway. It's not like you're going to be really rich and uh, come along. You've just got to sell it to two of your friends. It's like it doesn't work, okay? So literally what we're hinging on is God's at work. And, and don't come here and become a Christian because it's cool or easier or life will be better. Like if anything, it'll be 
an inconvenience. It'll be tougher. It talks about taking up your cross daily and dying to yourself daily. But what we're saying is God's real. He loves you. Eternity is real. And He is yearning for you. So come and die to yourself and say yes to Him. And so I say all of that to say this communion meal is not meant to be relevant, but it is meant to be powerful. And today we're going to expect God's power as we eat a meal. And let's look at it together today. If you've got your Bible, actually, don't, you can write notes on this. I've actually used the message translation today. Um, to explain it, I didn't like the message translation when it first came out because um, just personality thing. When I was reading it, I was like, you know what? Cool. It's kind of a bit poetic for me. I'm not against it, just for me. And then when I read about and, st- and looked into Eugene Peterson more, I fell in love with the message translation. This guy is so good. So good. If you haven't read any of his books, uh, please read The Pastor, uh, a memoir. Please read, um, what, someone? When Kingfishers Catch Fire was another incredible one. Like he's just got an, he's an amazing author. Um, Next one, please. And then I find that you bring your divisions to worship. You come together and instead of eating the Lord's Supper, You bring in a lot of food from the outside and make pigs of yourselves. Some are left out, catch this, and go home hungry. Others have to be carried out, too drunk to walk. I can't believe it. It's Lucy. (laughs) Don't you have your... No, just kidding. That was a joke. Don't you have your own homes to eat and drink in? Why would you stoop to desecrating God's church? Why would you actually shame God's poor? I never would have believed you would stoop to this, and I'm not going to stand by and say nothing. It. It's Greek for end. Uh, it actually is, but we, no, I think it's let. Uh, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it's so centrally important. How good is this? Paul's just reminding the church in Corinth the, the power and necessity of what we're about to do. So this is, this is good. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions, the death of the master. How powerful is this? This is what actually happens at communion. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Powerful. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. It is, that, uh, is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? Examine your motives, 
Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. I love that. If you give no thought or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. God, this is full on. That's why so many of you, even now, are listless and sick and others have gone to an early grave. Whoa. Full on. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. Has anyone seen why I felt it was important to try this, getting it right in this meal? So my friend, when you come together to the Lord's table after today, be reverent and courteous with one another. If you're so hungry that you can't wait to be served, go home and get a sandwich. <laughs> Alan, you don't have to leave. Al, it's okay. I know it's your first. Come on, man. Like, I'm sure we got crackers upstairs or something. But by no means risk turning this meal into an eating and drinking binge or a family squabble. It's a spiritual meal. I love this. A love feast. The other things you asked about, I'll respond to in person when I make my next visit. I think that's all. No. <laughs> Can I have a timeout? Anyone got cut oranges like at soccer practice when you have half? To? Anyway, okay, I'm sorry. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? Oh, sorry, that is my first point. I looked at the reference. Yeah, cool. Thanks. I'll come back to that bit, Renee. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you anoint this message. Help us, uh, help us not to drift off into religion where we turn this into another practice for the sake of it, but help us always keep relationship with you central to everything we do. And the reason we're having this meal together in the presence of brothers and sisters of Christ is we expect your presence to be with us, Lord. We expect to receive from you again. Expect to grow in you more and more. We want, to, we want to know you more. We thank you so much for everything you did for us on the cross. Help us always remember that with such joy and thanksgiving. Help today to be a powerful moment for a lot of us. In Jesus' name, amen. My intros the last few weeks have been like 20 minutes. I all right, I just gotta, I'm going to streamline it. Anyway, all right, we've got 15. Okay, so... Um, when it comes to, we're, we're Protestants, right? Martin Luther, Great Reformation. The whole world was Catholic before him. What Catholic means is universal. And Martin Luther started the Great Reformation because no one knew the Bible. And he interpreted it to German and he said, hey, I, I want to put the Bible in anyone's hands. He said, I want a peasant to know more about the Word of God than the Pope himself. And hence then, we're, we're Protestants. And what we believe as Protestants is that there are two sacraments, not having a go at any of the Catholics. They, you might have known more about this. You might have gone to a Catholic school or been raised Catholic. They believe there are seven sacraments or sacred moments. We believe in two sacred things, water baptism and the Eucharist. The Eucharist is communion, the Lord's Supper. They're the only two sacraments we have. And what that means is very sacred things to us. We believe that they are sacraments because two things. Number one, Jesus did them himself. He did baptism, was baptized and baptized, and then he also initiated communion. The other thing that we believe in that moment is God's very presence is there. 
We believe the very presence of God is at water baptism and communion. Now, when it comes to communion, um, other, the Catholics will believe in a word called transubstantiation. Anyone ever heard of that? There we go. What that means is in that moment, the bread literally becomes the flesh of Jesus. And the wine literally becomes the blood of Jesus. So that's why at the end, <laughs> you know, the, the guy doing communion, the father, has to finish the wine before he preaches. <laughs> because it's sacred, right? It's holy. Imagine if there was a low-attended day. It's like, oh, it's like a liter of wine to get through, and then I've got to preach. We cry out loud. That'd be messy. But anyway, so that's, a, that's because of a belief. Not trying to have a go at anyone, trying to just explain it. That's a, a belief in transubstantiation. It becomes Jesus. I don't believe in that personally. But at the same time, I don't believe it's nothingness. Um, the word I, I feel most comfortable with currently is consubstantiation, which means that it does not become the flesh and blood of Jesus, but God's actual presence is at the meal. So there's so many times, if you're anything like me, you would have just had it, and you know, kids pulling on your leg and worships. You got to grab, if you finished, pass your cups to the aisle. I'm like, crap, I haven't started. Okay, good. I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. Um, crud. And uh, anyway, so have the food, drink, pass along, and it's just like nothingness, right? Like it, for me, that's on me. I, I didn't make the moment sacred enough. And so what I want us to do is make this a sacred moment. I remember growing up in church, and Matt Buchanan and Benny Martin and I used to wait when we used to hire the Crumman State School at the back was a kitchen, and we used to wait out there for the leftover communion to come on out. And it's just like all these chopped up bread and little cups who, who could do the most shots, and you're like, yeah, we're like six and seven years old. I do have a memory once we thought communion was finished. We're like, gee, there's heaps left over today. <laughs> Fully remember it. And so I was like, where'd the communion go? Like, it's going high to the back of the school. Whoops. <laughs> anyway. Was it Matt or someone else just, Matt and Ben, I think, just opened all the cans of Coke in the fridge and shut the door? And <laughs> so communion, there's a reverence I didn't have for a long time, Right? It's just like a little thing, a little part of the service, cool. But when we see the power of it in the Word of God, it's something that uh, is, there's, there's power in that moment for you and I. And something just to throw away as well. It's not in the notes, but it doesn't necessarily have to be limited to church. So I would love you, parents, from time to time, have communion at home and teach your kids about this. Have a moment as a marriage couple. Okay, let's not get weird, but at the same time, let's highlight things. If you're fighting a lot as a married couple, if there's this like spiritual warfare going on, I think Satan hates marriage because it's the only time in Scripture to become one flesh, right? He hates it. It's in the image of God. It's this powerful thing. So if, if there's a lot of attack against your marriage, why don't we stop? Do communion together. Pray for each other. Like, you've got to bring God into that situation, right? Anyway, if there's sickness, if your kids are always sick, have communion. Pray for them. Okay. It's not a parenting seminar, but these are things that need to happen. Bring the presence of God into your home. There's something that needs to, there's special about communion. First thing I want us to catch today is that we have communion for a renewed a reverence 
First point, a reverence, rediscover a reverence of God. There's this awe moment about communion. I'm getting the picture that when you meet together, it brings out your worst side instead of your best. Examine your motives, test your heart, come to this meal in holy awe. Once again, it's not the actual flesh and blood of Jesus, but wow, God, you're here. Your presence is here. And thinking about, you know, we spoke on this last year at Good Friday and and Sunday, but the the power of this moment, right? A a very brief overview, if you're new to Christianity or you're not familiar with the Bible at all, is back in, you might have heard of a guy called Moses, Old Testament. Anyway, long story short, all of God's people, the Israelites, ended up in Egypt for a season. They had favor, and then they had too much favor. So Pharaoh made them slaves. 430 years they spent in Egypt, a lot of that time as slaves, just punished. So then their cries landed on God. God heard their cries for help. Long story short, he sends Moses. Moses comes, let my people go. And you know, Pharaoh says no a bunch of times. So there's 10 plagues. There's frogs, there's gnats, there's locusts, there's hail, the blood in the Nile River, the cattle die, a bunch of things. But the last one, it's very intense, but it's what we call a type of Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ. And what it says is the 10th plague is that the firstborn son will die. And in that moment, God institutes something. He said, all of God's people, all the Israelites, what we want you to do is take a perfect lamb, perfect spotless. It said in Exodus chapter 12, it'll say this has to be perfect. We want you to kill the lamb, prepare it, get it ready for a meal, but take its blood and put its blood on your doorpost. And when the spirit, this is a, Another topic for another time. When the angel of death comes through to kill the firstborn sons of the uh, animals and humans, the livestock as well, the firstborn's going to die. When he sees the lamb's blood over you and your household, it will pass over you. Literally why the meal is called the Passover. So for the next 1,500 years, he's like, do this meal every single year. Exodus 12, we were talking a bit about it with Youth Friday. I think it's verse 14. He says, this is a celebration, this meal. This is a celebration. We're going to come to that at the end. But this Passover meal, and what happened every year was this lamb was cooked, bread was made, and there was wine. Now, when we get to this moment, it's very powerful, long story short, but we get to this moment with Jesus. He's been, I've been, he says in Luke 22, I've been very eager to have this Passover meal with you. He brings in communion and he changes things. But there's something you need to notice that's crucial about this. He brings in bread. When you have communion, take the bread. It's my body. This is my body. And take this wine. And this represents my blood. It's actually remember that I died on the cross. But something significant is he doesn't allow the lamb to go through. Bunch of us wish there was slow-cooked lamb today. However, thank you, Jesus. We would rather be atoned for our sins than have lamb and rosemary right now. Some are going well. Anyway, the beautiful thing is that there's no lamb in the communion meal because Jesus was the perfect and final lamb. If you're taking notes and you care and you want to read about it later, John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist is there. He's baptizing. He looks up and he looks, sees Jesus. He's like, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What had happened for 1,500 years is that God and His kindness would pass over their sin because of the Lamb's blood. This Lamb will take away your sins. 
the power and reverence of this moment. He's like, now have communion again and again and again. I love Eugene Peterson's words, verse 26. You're going to be drawn back to this meal again and again and again. And a reverence needs to be birthed in your heart. Every time I've stumbled again, I've sinned again, I've walked away from you again, you come back to this moment when you say, thank you, Jesus, for doing what I could not do, for living the life I could not live, for dying the death that the sin in me deserved to die. You were that perfect final blood offering. And now I just get the relationship with you. I'm atoned for my sin. I'm in relationship with you. What? This is the holy awe having the bread, having the drink, remembering that Hebrews 4, 15, he was tempted in every way we are, yet was without sin. Perfect lamb. John 19, verses 1 to 4, twice Pontius Pilate, when, on tri- when Jesus was on trial, twice he says, I find no fault in him. The perfect lamb. And we have this moment, we're like, oh God, you did that for me? The world was created for perfect relationship with God. Sin destroyed perfect relationship with God. Jesus redeemed, remade perfect relationship with God. The Holy Spirit applied perfect relationship with God. When you were born of the Spirit, it says an identity and imputed righteousness of Christ. The Holy Spirit seals that on you, stamps it on you. Perfect relationship with God. Hear me now. Communion remembers that we have perfect relationship with God. Do you see the necessity of doing it? regularly, stopping and being in this moment. Literally, we didn't even read out Acts 2 again. What we've, the preaching series was out Acts 2, 42 to 47, and it speaks about the breaking of bread, again, from the household to household, sharing a meal together, remembering this moment is so crucial. Amen? We take communion to rediscover, now it's time, to rediscover a reverence. We take communion to re knew our covenant with God and his church. Renew it. John, Mark, oh, have I got, I'll read this, sorry. Um, What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread, every time, and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You'll be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Do we have that John Mark quote, please? I love it. John Mark Hicks. When we eat and drink, we renew our covenant with God. We pledge ourselves to keep the covenant. It's a moment of rededication and recommitment. In the context of the worship experience, we voice our commitment to live worthy of the gospel. We vow to take up our cross and call Jesus Lord, follow him into the world as obedient servants. The supper is the ritual moment when we renew the covenant vow we made in our baptism. I would argue, in my opinion, personal opinion, the Western church isn't in a very strong position, in my opinion. And I think I I rarely hear uh, or meet Christians who, who, who carry the weight of the covenant they made with God. A lot of Christians go to church for the wow factor or to be there or they've got great friends or they like this program or they like this and that. 
I would love to see myself and more of us just continuously coming back to this covenant, vow, agreement. We're in with God. Again and again and again. It's not, I'm not a Christian because I try to act better morally. I'm in a covenant relationship with the uncreated God because of the death of Jesus. We're renewing that vow again and again and again. If we could get now 1 Corinthians 10, 16 up, please. Thank you so much, Renee. Read this beautiful verse. It says, when we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? Can we keep that there for a little bit? Both of the times they're sharing. Aren't we sharing in the blood and aren't we sharing in the body? Both of those times, it's this Greek word, koinonia. Has anyone ever heard of that term? Most of the time in the New Testament, it's used 16 times. Most of the times it's used, it's used for this, fellowship, unity, oneness. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we having fellowship with the blood of Christ? Aren't we one? Aren't we in covenant? And when we break the bread, aren't we covenant, koinonia, fellowship in the body of Christ? See the depth and the reverence here? He's saying you need to be in relationship with God and the work he's done for you and his people. We see it again for time's sake. I'll jump into 1 John, please, chapter 1. We're about to start a six-month preaching series on 1 John. It's going to be a lot of fun. But I'm just going to jump ahead for this bit quickly. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship, koinonia, with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship, koinonia, with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Can we keep that there for a second as well? If we have fellowship with God, it changes how we live. And if we've been changed how we live, if we walk in the light as God has called us to be in light, then we're in fellowship with each other. So it's literally saying if you're still out here in darkness, a couple of things. Number one, you don't have fellowship with God. Number two, you don't have fellowship with his church. But when you step over here into God's light, as God is in the light, and I'm living this way, I have fellowship with God and His church. That's, that's covenant. See what I'm saying now? now this, what I'm about to say can slip into workspace or you know, pressure or sound manipulating, but I don't mean it like that. But hear me now. A lot of us need to be in church week in, week out, not so much for what we can get, but for who else we can help. I, I've got to be honest, when someone comes, they're like, oh, I'm leaving the church up the road because, because they haven't entertained me, because they haven't done this for me, because they haven't done that. I'm always like, did, did you do that for the church? Like a win for me is actually go back and help them. They need you. But I understand when some people feel displaced and they want to find a new home, that's different. What I want us to see is when we're in covenant with each other, I'm not going to church because it's perfect. I'm going to church because they're brothers and sisters, as family. I've preached, <laughs> I've preached on how wonderful, yet to a degree, sorry, awkward, some family Christmases are for me with Hen's extended family. <laughs> but there's such beauty in this incredibly diverse bunch of people. So different. I've got to be honest. You know I'm not being insulting, right? I'm not insulting anyone. Uh, what I'm saying is they are 
Just go with stop saying I'm in trouble. I'm not in trouble. Here we go now. Come on. Get out of your system. We'll get back on track. Here we go. There is so much beauty in that you look at these group of people and you're like, if it wasn't for bloodline or marriage, like you guys probably wouldn't hang out, right? I think there's power in it. The goal of Sozo Group when we started was not a bunch of people the same age hanging out. It was the goal of Sozo Group when we started was seeing a bunch of people that a non-Christian would look at and like, why are they friends? Jesus. You can go sit in the car if you want, mate. The goal of church is not coming because, oh, everyone my age is there. Oh, I've got a whole bunch of other parents whose kids are my age as well. They're in the same interest. They do the same sports on Saturday. Listen to the same music. We shop at the same place. We eat at the same cafes. Yes, I found my body of Christ. The goal is covenant in a local body. The goal is fellowship. And when you're in fellowship and relationship, it kills consumerism quick, really quick. Because suddenly I'm not rocking up going, what's good for me here? It's going, how can I help? And that person's sitting by themselves. Can I go sit next to them? That person looks down today. Can I go pray with them? That person's sitting by themselves at communion. I want to sit with, I want to share a meal with them. See the difference in koinonia than consumerism? There's, there's fellowship, and there's beauty because of covenant, church. I want you to catch that. Because of covenant. When you come here, I, 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 I'm not asking this from the first moment you walk in, but what I am saying is the moment you call this home, like if you call this home, I pray you see yourself in covenant relationship with the people you're sitting next to. Once this is home, you're there for each other. Text each other. Call each other. Encourage each other. Be there for each other. Because we're a body. Amen? And there's incredible beauty and power in that. I'm going over time. I'll jump to this. So that we take communion to renew covenant with God and his people. The final thing, we take communion to rejoice. I'll skim through this one for time's sake. But by no means risk turning this meal into an eating and drinking binge or a family squabble. It's a spiritual meal. Catch this bit. A love feast. Now in Jude, it's one chapter long. It's a strange book. There's a bunch of strange verses in there about Satan and Michael fighting for the body of Moses and all these things we never read about in the rest of Scripture. But anyway, here we are. In Jude verse 12, it literally refers to communion. It's the only time in the New Testament as a love feast or an agape feast. The love of God, agape. That selfless, other people focused love. It calls communion the love feast. Now, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. However, in the first 300 years, it's very present in the church's writings, in the early church's writings. This reference of a love feast, and a God love, an agape feast. I find that the most beautiful thing. Because now when we come into this time, not only, I, I don't want us to walk out like all somber and scared, like, oh, I've got to come with this holy awe. Yes, but a celebration. <laughs> like, the balance you should have with God in prayer, in my opinion, is both awe, wonder, and joy. <laughs> in worship, I'm both like, whoa, and thank you. When we come to communion, I want us to be at awe in this moment. I want us to stop. I want us to think about this, but I also want it to be a celebration of everything Jesus has done for us, okay? So we're going to finish in a moment. And what I would love is that as we head outside, 
Grab a seat. Let's, let's fill all the tables and chairs and just wait. And when your table is full, there's going to be some of the prayers written around. They're just the same prayer. But I'd love for you to feel confident enough. Prayer scares some people, and it shouldn't. That's why I wrote it down even, to start there. Just pray this simple prayer of the person next to you and allow them to pray for you. With their family or not, I think, I think it's going to be a really powerful moment when we pray for each other. Uh, if you need to leave, that is fine. You, if you don't feel comfortable or you need to leave, that is totally cool. But I'd love as many people as possible to stick around. Free lunch. Let's do communion together, church. Let's have a meal. Let's be together, amen? And we stop. After you've prayed, I want you to eat. And I want you to drink. And I want you to reflect on what Jesus has done for you. Okay? I'll pray for you and then we'll head on out. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your power, for your grace, for your mercy. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much that as we take this communion meal now, remind us of the reverence, the awe of what you've done for us, Lord. Remind us as we renew the covenant with you and with your church, help us to see that wonder and help us to rejoice as well, Lord, that you're a good God. You're for us. You love us. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.